0: Coming right up, straight Talk with Art Levine as we enter our 15th anniversary season. Opinions expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect the views of Charter Communications nor its sponsors. We recognize our obligation to present opposing points of view by responsible spokespersons. For information, please contact the director of program. She stands in face of evil and will not lose hope or faith. America, the land of freedom, is still the home is brought to you in part by Southern California Edison. For over 100 years, life powered by Edison. The Press-Telegram, your local newsleader for over 100 years. And Long Beach Magazine, Coastal Living City Style.
1: Join us for tonight's edition of Straight Talk. And now your host, Art Levine.
0: Good evening and welcome to this special edition of Straight Talk. Our guest tonight is Pulitzer Prize winning investigative journalist Seymour Hirsch. This show was taped at the studios of Advanced Media Production on the Cal State Long Beach campus. Mr. Hirsch, welcome to Cal State Long Beach. Glad to be here. We're delighted you're here as part of our Distinguished Speaker Series. And your career embodies the highest traditions of the press doing investigative journalism and functioning as a check and balance on government. Tell us uh, uh, what is the most satisfying part of what you do. Well, you know, uh,
1: I I love all my children. I've written a lot of books, and I, you know, it's just, I, I think, I think we have a bad bargain in America right now, basically. If you really want to know, I think all of us are very loyal to our country. All of us, um, uh, are, if the President of the United States wants to uh, send, uh, take our sons and daughters into the armed forces and send them off to kill and be killed in the name of America, we say okay. And in return, we sort of understand that the guys running the government, the Kissingers and the Nixons and the Bushes, uh, don't often tell us the truth and aren't often very. Uh, straightforward with us, even as even as as they send our children off in the combat. And so, what I just try and do is hold these guys um, uh, to the highest possible standard, the same standard um, I hold people in my family to. I don't like lying. I don't want to lie to my children. I don't want them to lie to me. And, and I, I, so, what I try and do is simply that, and um, is just say these guys um, should be held uh, accountable, and that's 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 it in a nutshell.
0: The framers, in their wisdom, gave special protection to the press under the Constitution. And the press does have both the right and the responsibility to report on what's happening. With all the cutbacks in the media today, and we read about cutbacks in, in newspapers, we read it on television, do you think the press is fulfilling that historic function?
1: You know, when I, work, I worked for many years at the New York Times, and I had a wonderful editor named Abe Rosenthal, who was personally sort of to the right of uh, very conservative, and uh, he used to always come and pat me. When he came to the Washington Bureau, he pat me on my head and say, "How's my little commie today? <laughs> what do you have for me? What do you have for me?" He wanted stories, yeah. and the way it would work is, I'd write stories, and the government sometimes—this is in the '70s, all so during the Nick Watergate years and during the Vietnam War—and the government would come saying, you know, telling us that. If you publish that story, Mr. Rosenthal, um, uh, the Russians will be airlifting uh, troops into the foothills of San Francisco, you know, national security is at a risk. And in every case, he made the call. That's what makes America so special, the First Amendment. There's no bar. It doesn't matter whether it's secret, top secret, special compartment intelligence. We have an unfettered right to publish. There's no no act that, that, that has been passed that surmounts the First Amendment to the Constitution. And the,
0: and the famous Pentagon Papers case where the government tried to stop and they went to the Supreme Court and the government lost.
1: Absolutely, and, and, and so Rosenthal used to say, you know, it's, it's what I feel in my stomach. Yeah. That was the issue. Well, it you was, were
0: blessed with a strong editor who supported what you were doing.
1: And um, you can't understand how important that is. What happened now and the failure now isn't about cutbacks. What you have is after 9-11, we joined the team. And I hate to say this.
0: Cheerleaders. Well,
1: yes, jingoistic. We were there. We were there. My God, the Muslims did this to us. We've got it. We want payback. And it's not our job. It doesn't mean we're not Americans. We're all very much Americans. And as I say, all of us, uh, we love our country. We love the freedom. But the job of the press is to be skeptical, is to hold the president. As I say, to the highest standard. And we failed. We failed on the WMD issue. We failed on the notion that there was some connection between 9-11s, um, Osama bin Laden, uh, jihadism, and Iraq. There isn't. And we knew that, and we didn't do enough. We were too busy being on, on the team. And that's bad. Has the pendulum now swung back? No. Hell no. We're still on the team. No, that's what bothers me the most. And now you have a difference. You know, uh, journalism is like any big corporation. At the New York Times, where I worked, the guy that was dependable, the guy that wouldn't take a chance, the guy that wouldn't be a flyer, unlike Abe Rosenthal, who amazing became the executive editor, it's the, it's the guy who's safe that gets promoted. That's always the way. It's always the, the way it is, I'm sure, in universities and, the, in, and in faculties, in the same way, you know, leadership in terms of being the chancellor or the president of a university. You don't want a wild guy there or somebody that you can't control. <laughs> no, you just don't. And so you have um, basically what you have. Uh, I have a simple solution to solve the, one of the problems of the journalism, the world today is fire, you know, 75% of the top editors right now. Just clean them out. Across the board, and start new, and maybe we'll have a chance. It's not as bad as the cutbacks are. The real problem has to do with just the sense that um, we can't do certain things, self-censorship, and it's really wrong.
0: And there's also the threat of litigation, as CBS found out. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you go and do a strong story, you can be sued by the cigarette companies in, in the famous case or others. Uh, so you, what you do then is you have
1: lawyers and you make sure you're right. That's all. You make sure you're right. And I, as you know, I've been working for the New Yorker for seven, eight years. And before 9-11, I did a story involving a major oil company that was buying, after the Russian government collapsed, after the fall of communism, they were buying oil from, illegally for a, a buck a barrel, a dollar a barrel, and making millions, one of the major oil companies. And I think the week before we published, I think we had seven letters from seven different prominent New York law firms, on behalf of various people, I was writing about threatening us. And we still published because we knew we were basically right. So and threats, no, nobody sued.
0: So threats go with the territory of what you do. Uh,
1: if you do it right, you know. Yeah. But one thing about, you know, uh, you, people wonder why the, more money isn't invested, for example, in the euro or other currencies. The reason people still invest in the American dollar, even though we're, we're diminished, is we have a tremendously strong legal system here. And the legal protection for, for investors is, is great. And the, every lawyer will tell you there's no system like the American system in terms of going after wrongdoing. You have a lot of legal rights, a lot of avenues. And so that's all there is to it. Let do, you, do you think this
0: protection that you refer to in our legal system is neutral as far as left and right? You know, there's a discussion of sub- appointing Supreme Court justices who support abortion, who oppose it and all. Do you think there's a consensus on both sides to protect the press?
1: Uh, you know, I, it's a hell of a question. I, I, I don't know. The answer is I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. I do know that. Because that would be a great danger but to mo- the Money's neutral. One thing I will tell you, money is neutral. When it comes to investing here and knowing you'll be protected in terms of large-scale investments, it'll be neutral. When you get into other issues, social issues
0: involving the court, it's a whole different ballgame. You referred, you were a reporter for the New York Times and did distinguished work there, and yet you left the New York Times in 1979. Right. I was reading in your resume. And for the last almost 30 years, you've been a freelance journalist. Uh, is that a lifestyle that you prefer?
1: Um, and why? No, I, particularly now, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody because it's dicey. You know, the economy's you know in the toilet, as they say, to put it mildly. And so, um, no, no. Um, um, uh, I like to write books and I did, um, I wrote a bunch of movies in the 80s, I did all sorts of different stuff. It's fun to do different things. And I was sort of, I had been sort of the, uh, the, the you know, the great avenger for the New York Times going after, uh, on the Vietnam War and on Bush and organized crime stuff. You know, I have to tell you something. I've been a reporter for about 45 years. And you started as a police reporter. I was a police reporter in, in Chicago. I saw a lot, of, a lot of stiffs in my life, a lot of dead bodies. <laughs> anyway, and a lot of corruption. Some are
0: still alive, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, but you know, in all those years, writing about organized crime, writing about mass murder and Mili, Lai, the My Lai massacre, writing about the Abu Ghraib, the prison stuff, and the whole, all, all the wrongdoing that goes on, in 45 years I've never met anybody who thought he did anything wrong. You have to understand that. That's one of the great really? things Yeah, absolutely. One of the great things about a human life, human really, beings. Really they all have a, we can a rationale. rationale. Absolutely. Wow. So that it's sort of and so anyway, it just was um in my case, um like I, I, I felt that way after being in the newspaper business for a long time. I'd started as a as a as I say, a police reporter, worked for the Wires, Associated Press. So I did I did my apprenticeship. Um I feel the same way. I felt the same way then as I feel now about, uh, I've been doing 9-11 since 9-11. No other story. I've got one or two more to do for The New Yorker. If the election turns out the way the poll says it, will, and, and if he gets through the inauguration, I think I'm just going to go off and do something totally different. You know, I wish I were a good enough golfer. I'd be a pro golfer. <laughs> <laughs> just to get out of it. You know,
0: changing yeah. is always good. Change is good. Well. Uh- uh, what about the election? Do you have a comment about what we're doing? It watching? doesn't matter what I think. I mean, yeah. I, you know,
1: I have my, obviously, are you kidding? I mean, yeah. uh, there, is there any doubt where I am? I mean, I, I think Bush is the single worst president we've ever had. And I've been saying for years, I, I'm not saying this as it's a form of I was saying there's no way you can spend the money we're spending. They claim $120 billion a year in Iraq. It's a lot more than that, I believe. Yeah. And, and plus the money in Afghanistan, there's no way you can spend that kind of money without without dealing with the tax structure. Are we safer
0: today? Do you think?
1: Oh no! Oh my God! These guys have put us in much more jeopardy. Do you know we lost fifty-eight thousand American boys and men and women, in mostly men, in the Vietnam War, and that was a disaster. But it was always tactical. Here we've had a war in which we've lost. I mean, I shouldn't. I'll never use the word only. There's no such thing as only one death. We've lost forty-five hundred. Forty-five hundred. We're in that we're in that middle range now, four to five thousand. And so the losses are, what, seven, eight, nine percent of what we had then. Um, and yet, this is a strategic war. This is not tactical. This is not some sort of a mistake we made. And then, five years after the Vietnam War ends, we're playing monopoly in Vietnam, building hotels and doing yeah. travel. And the Vietnamese love us and we love them.
0: Well, like Germany and Japan, we rebuild our enemies.
1: Um, uh, in Japan's case, it was amazing. Once we decided we could keep the emperor, the Japanese people turned around and we, they were um, acquiescent. It was more complicated in Europe. The point I'm making is that we have dug a hole for ourselves yeah. with the Muslim world that is really going to be complicated and going to take a long time to dig out of. This is not going to be a turnaround like we had. Even and with it's
0: more than military. It's it's public relations. It's perception. It, it's it's of religious. Course. It's theoretical. It's it's.
1: Uh, it, it's it's. They think we're their enemy. Yeah. I mean, and you can't have that. And we're not their enemy. And that's why I think electing somebody whose father was Muslim and with uh, whose Um, uh, perceived by most um, people, he's black. Uh, He says he's black and he claims to be a black person even though he's a white mother. So that that perception is going to be very, very important for us around the world. Let's
0: talk about the Middle East for a second. You wrote a a lead story for the New Yorker magazine in February about the uh, Israeli attack on Syria that surprisingly got very little attention, uh, but... uh, you had some interesting insights in that article. I raised questions about it.
1: I said I'm not sure there was a nuclear reactor. I'm more, I'm personally totally convinced, on the basis of what people inside tell me. But there's a lot of difference between what somebody inside tells me and somebody is willing to say in some sort of official way. Um, I. I I can tell you right now, um, uh, as sure as I'm sitting here, there was no nuclear reactor. There was, the Israelis may have indeed, there was a, a serious uh, weapons plant there, which is one reason why the Syrians were so reluctant to talk publicly about it. They were building missiles there. You know, it turns out the way to get to Israel, uh, a nuclear weapon does no good for anybody. What, what is a nuclear weapon going to do for you? What, how are you going to use it? And particularly, um, uh, is is Syria going to develop a nuclear bomb or two bombs? The same question for Iran and use it against Israel. When Israel is 400 and you're annihilated, it's a useless weapon. What the Syrians learned in the 2006 war in Lebanon, if you remember, Israel invaded Lebanon and got beat back by the Hezbollah, the party of God. Um, um, And what they learned is asymmetrical warfare, that you can throw a lot of rockets into northern Israel. And, be, and accomplish a lot more than you can by having a strategic weapon. And so that's what they were doing, building rockets.
0: Okay, we'll be continuing this fascinating discussion with Cy Hirsch after we pause for these messages.
1: Electricity is different from any other product we use. We can't store it. We must use it wisely, but can't do without it completely. And there's no substitute for this special form of energy that brings us light, comfort, and progress. That's why California needs new standards that can keep utilities strong, guard against another power crisis, and protect
0: consumers from the kind of shortages that often affect other commodities. Because electricity is different. The Port
1: of Long Beach, one of the region's largest construction contractors, has work for businesses big and small. The SBE, or Small Business Enterprise Program, was established by the Board of Harbor Commissioners in 2004 to boost the local economy. Through this program, small businesses get a chance at big port contracts in the areas of construction, environmental consulting, engineering and architectural services, and more. To learn more, log on to www.polb.com or call 562-590-4146.
0: Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion with Cy Hirsch, this year's distinguished speaker here at Long Beach State. Cy, another cover story you wrote at the New Yorker this year about uh, Bush uh, military plans to possibly attack Iran with nuclear weapons. Uh, give us a sense of your thinking on
1: that. Well, I, I, for, uh, look, I, uh, I think I'm wrong. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, by the way, I never said they would. I just said they wanted to. But for three years now, I've been basically um, um, been a Johnny One Note. You know, a Chicken Little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Because inside the White House, I do know this. Um, it's almost the string is almost out now on this administration. But obviously, I have people. Um, who are uh, inside uh, the White House, inside uh, uh, Dick Cheney's office. People talk to me, people who know what's going on. And um, uh, for years, both Bush and Cheney have been absolutely convinced that Iran's the the existential enemy, just like the Israelis believe that, and that we cannot tolerate a nuclear-armed Iran, and no matter what the intelligence community says. And if you remember, about a year ago, last uh, December, there was a national intelligence estimate put out by the community as a whole, studied to death and very nervously, that said uh, no evidence that Iran is weaponized. Yes, they may be enriching uranium, but they, they haven't done anything to make a weapon since 03, five years ago. Pretty amazing, uh, definitive statement. Uh, Cheney and, Bush, and Bush's position internally on that is uh, we don't buy it. We just, we know that they're going to get a bomb, and we know if they get a bomb, they're going to gets somebody like Hezbollah, the party of God in northern Lebanon, the, the jihadist group, the, the Shia group there. Um, one time major terrorist group, but now Hezbollah is working internally inside the government of, of Lebanon. But at one point, they were certainly very tough customers. And uh, Cheney and Bush believed, basically, that they're we're, we're just a, a, a week or a day away from Obama in America. But That's you know the old
0: saying, one nuclear bomb can can ruin your whole day, and, and with miniature <laughs> Nuclear devices and backpacks and all. There was a wonderful movie that that uh, game planned that. Uh, Isn't that a real existential threat to the United States that a a a terrorist group without a home address can get a hold of one of these things and ignite one in an American city?
1: Absolutely, it just doesn't happen to be Iran. That's all. I mean, I think the more likely person that the most likely scenario of a bomb coming that way would be from Pakistan. Yeah. The Pakistanis have yeah. uh, been enriching, have been making bombs, we know, since the 80s. And not only that, we also know, definitively know, that they've miniaturized. Wow. You know, making a bomb, uh, making the, enriching the material is hard enough. Actually fabricating a warhead and doing the, mil- you know, you have to make a small little compact warhead. Oh. You have to have thousands of uh, explosives around it. You get a reaction by crushing it all, all at once in nanoseconds. You've got to hit the right time. Really complicated. And so the, the PACs are the more likely people, I would think, that if you're going to have a loose bomb.
0: You've been pretty tough on the, on the Bush administration. In, oh, in I'd say com- that's understatement. <laughs> but let me just play devil's advocate here. Uh, everyone after 9-11 thought it would be inevitable to have another major attack, and yet we haven't had it. And many people ask, how come?
1: What happened is, is if you really go and try to talk to people, you know, as I'm long of tooth. I've been around doing national security stuff for a long time. There was a, a total, complete panic in the beginning. That was totally explicable. You could understand it. You could understand why the day after nine eleven, they decided they were going to start wiring up people in the United States, beginning to eavesdrop, you know, violation of the Constitution and the law, because they were in a panic. They thought they were getting reports that Chicago may go down. That there were cells. That this was a terror cell that had been obviously operating in, certainly in in the. Uh, in the East Coast for months without being detected. And we are
0: vulnerable, because we're an open society, and there are chemical plants, there are pipelines, there are all kinds of targets. There are ports right here in Long Beach.
1: Having said all that, the fact of the matter is that within three weeks, the American intelligence community was able to say to the White House, look, these 19 guys, 15 of them were Saudis, these 19 guys were the equivalent of a pickup basketball team that went to the Final Four or a bunch of guys in the neighborhood that got to the World Cup in in soccer. They were just lucky. They're not in all over the world. They're not all over the United States. They're not cells, we've been checking it hard. There was a panic that existed for weeks. Within weeks they were getting that report. The White House still made an assumption, which you can argue is rational, that we have to wire up a lot of people. And what happened in the whole eavesdropping thing that so so dominates the news even again now, because there's reports they were monitoring just recently um, American soldiers calling home, what happened is they, they wired up a lot of people, and then within a few weeks when nothing else happened, it was clear we weren't gonna have another immediate crisis, that these guys had uh, one-time trick, one-time pony this was, at least a lot of people thought so. Then you say, let's go to the courts and get it legal. Let's go, there's a court called the FISA court in, in Washington, you go and you, you ask for surveillance and somebody, the court looks at it and they always say yes. But, you but, have they, to, but they
0: abrogated that, they, they didn't they, even go to FISA. They
1: didn't do it, and that yeah. was the big mistake, and that happened. But I, so. You know, and let me also say something else to you about terrorism. We have a lot of societies that the, the Italians had all kinds of stuff with the Red Guard. The Germans had the minor, the minor Meidhoff gang. The Brits had IRA. I mean, they still have an explosion. They haven't had one in years, but they were all during the 60s and 70s. Yes, uh, terrorism exists. Yes, this was terrible. Yes, they could get a shopping mall. Does that mean you change everything? You don't. What you do is you become more vigilant. Uh, you get smarter, and you, we, all, we now know that if they've been paying any attention, this, this gang of 19 wasn't so perfect. They missed a lot of opportunities to pick them up. Yeah. We're a lot better off than we were then.
0: So there's been some real improvement in our intelligence operations, and uh, you know this strike at the homeland, other than Pearl Harbor, was unique in our history. Other countries are used to it. We were not. This was a shock.
1: And the real leadership then, at a time like this, Rather than to get up as the president did and start talking about driving the snakes out of their snake holes, you know, is to say, we've, you know, we have to get smarter quick, yeah. and not only that, we have to find the people that did it and bring them to the justice now. He said that at the beginning, but then, but he, then he lost. Then sight he went into wars. Then yeah. he went into wars. Into Iraq. Now like you look. You right. can't. Mm-hmm. The global war on terror. I got to tell you something about. Uh, you can't really have a war against
0: an idea. Yeah. We like to call things. War against this poverty, right. hunger. This never uh, works. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a moment about sources because key to what you do is having sources that trust you, that know you won't blow them. Uh, their anonymity, and over your many years, you've developed a coterie of, of sources where you trust each other. Speak to the moment about the importance of sources and the protection that the legal well provides.
1: We have this wonderful thing, and in the American uh, law, which is, it's a famous libel case, the New York Times versus Sullivan. And the law says that for anybody to, I can write a story and I can be dead wrong as long as my heart was pure, I had no intent to commit malice, no, no malicious intent, you can't sue me for libel. That's very important. No other country has this. So we have a very high standard to sue us, plus we have the First Amendment. The obligation for us. I always thought everybody has any right to sue, and you always have to prepare as I say, the only way you can answer a lawsuit is with the with the truth. Truth works here. Um, the important thing about me and the, the big issue about sources is I'm not naming them. That was one of the big controversies. I never liked it because I've done stories in which I named every source, and nobody says, oh we named all the sources. It's it's just it's a, a way of attacking a story. I always I do believe that, but of course I would. I'm biased. I mean I'm a reporter who uses unnamed sources. Everybody that's quoted by me in The New Yorker, that's unnamed, is known to my editors. And not only that, The New Yorker has this amazing fact-checking. Every story, there's a group of about 15 to 25. They're anywhere from 25 to 35-year-old young people, all very bright, different languages, all highly skilled, who who fact-check. And what they do is the people that deal with me understand they have to have separate conversations with fact-checkers. For some guys, it's really difficult. They say what? Because they have to trust the fact checker. They have too. to trust me. Yeah. See, I say to them, "You're talking to me. They're an extension I to know. me." I and see. there's never been a problem. I had one guy that wouldn't do it, so I couldn't use him as a source. Uh, but most of the time, every once in a while, the worst thing that happens is you'll get. In one case, there was a very prominent, high-ranking uh, 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 admiral who talked to me. Um, and uh, when it came time to check the quotes, we check quotes. We make sure the quotes. He, we don't want to embarrass anybody. And he started changing, not the meaning, but the language. <laughs> he was a tough guy, and he said, anybody that crosses the border, I'm going to whack. We're going to take them down. And he said he wanted to make it. We're going to deal with them appropriately. And I remember calling him up. There's the worst, there's the worst sort of... I, I did call him up, and I say, you're going to sound like a goddamn paleontologist. You know, <laughs> you're a warrior. And so we have that issue. But it's really been useful because most of the guys... You know, it turns out, for all this carping about the press... When, it, when push comes to shove, they really, this country, the press is a core issue for the United States. We believe strongly in the freedom of the press. And the guys, the idea of somebody inside the community even, getting a chance to make sure that the story is accurate and uh, that they're not in any way compromised, that there's some guy, I might interview a guy in August for a story that comes out in October, say I work months on a story, and maybe uh, in between August and October, He's used the phrase that he used with me at a meeting at the White House maybe a week earlier. So he gets a chance to hear what I'm going to quote him as saying. And he can say, oh, my God, you can't say that. I just used that. And now people use the same. uh, One guy's, uh, uh, you know, everybody has the same uh, uh, figures of speech. And so, uh, you know, aphorisms. And so um, and. But, But let me just say this. People really like the idea that you're doing, you're leaning over backwards to be accurate. And what I do. What I do is I always, I sort of jokingly call myself a full-service organization in that sense. If you give me a good tip, yeah, yeah. I can make it better. I can take what you tell me and go to other people and come back to you and say, here's the other side of what, what you were hearing. And
0: what you do provides, I think, a unique outlet for people who are in the administration but oppose some of the things that the administration is doing to have a channel of communicating that. Uh, without, without violating secrecy, yeah. something. but let, let me say
1: this to you. Most, 99% of the, 99.99% of the people in the world want to do their job right. And we have tremendous people. In There's nothing, look, and the Marine Corps in particular always amazes me because you get some of the generals, they're either the dumbest you've ever met or the brightest. You get some really, really smart people in the military. Yeah. And in the system, in the, in the intelligence agencies, you get people who are really dedicated, who love their country. And suppose you're, you've spent 23 years working for your country and you're, si- you're assigned by your agency to be the, the, the liaison in the White House and you don't like what's going on. What do you do? You, you can't quit. You don't want to quit. You think you want to stay in there and make it better. Call Sigh. Sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> it works. Just call cy. Si. Well, sometimes it, it's a way of trying to cope with the system yeah. when you have this kind of craziness going on in the White House. We just have a
0: minute or two left, Si. Uh, uh, you've had a distinguished career. Uh, your view of the future, are, are we going to be able to get a handle on this? this existential war against terrorism that we're in, and, uh, and how will the United States be in 10 years?
1: A lot depends on this election. If it goes the way it does, and he does what he's capable of doing, he's a very bright man, Obama. this Obama, very, very bright. Um, brighter than most of the people around him, that I've been told by people who work for him. And You know, I'm in Washington, I know that world. Um, I think we'll go a long way. Look, international terrorism, the Muslim community, there's nothing in the Koran that supports what's going on. They despise Bin Laden just as much as we do. 99.9999% of Muslim world. You still go, I travel all over the Middle East. Everybody still wants to send kids to school here. They go to London now, they go to Europe, but they still want to, this is still a a beacon. America is a very special place. Muslims have been coming here and they they get a house in in the suburbs and they can practice their religion. They come
0: this way, not the other way. It's great. Oh, we still do. Cy Hirsch, thank you so much for all that you've done in your career. Thank you for being here at Long Beach State for this special program, and thank you for joining us on In Conversation.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Okay. We'd like to thank Mr. Hirsch for appearing with us today on In Conversation. And Mr. Hirsch has been visiting our campus as part of the Distinguished Speaker Series. Thank you at home for joining us. Straight Talk has been brought to you by Southern California Edison, the Press Telegram, and Long Beach Magazine. And remember, Straight Talk is viewable worldwide 24-7 at straighttalktv.com.